0: This is a Federal News Network podcast.
1: Welcome to Tech Talk Online, sponsored by Stratford University. You can listen to Tech Talk Live Saturday mornings from 9 till 10. Find us online at federalnewsnetwork.com or hear us on the radio in the Washington, D.C. area on the following frequencies. 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, and 103.9 FM HD 2. We thank you for listening to Tech Talk Radio.
0: Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Ross. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now, here are Dr. Richard shirts and Jim Russ.
2: Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And
0: I'm Jim Russ. Coming up on today's show, we will tell you about some people who are turning parking spots into offices. Right to repair legislation in 20 states would allow people to get their phone fixed wherever they would like. The cyber attack in Baltimore, an update. And in profiles in IT, Dr. Martin Cooper, the father of the cell phone.
2: And of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. They there's a letter in your mailbox.
0: And more technology. Yes. We work. have hotkeys this morning. Wow. Things I mean, are There's really a letter in your mailbox.
2: Wow. That is so good. We got an email from June in Burke. I got a question about ExpressVPN. I noticed that when I install ExpressVPN on my on my iPhone, that my public uh, Wi-Fi is still active. Does that make me vulnerable to anyone on that network in the hotel? Just checking is it important if I want to use this as a hotspot uh do not want to put any others at risk well uh, June if you once you install ExpressVPN any connection you have to the internet is going to be encrypted so if you if you turn off the pub, if you turn off your Wi-Fi and you just use cellular connection VPN, uh, ExpressVPN is going to encrypt that data stream for you on top of the cellular. Then, if you decide to connect to the internet with Wi Fi, no matter what Wi Fi you have, whether it's encrypted or not encrypted, public or not public, ExpressVPN will also encrypt your data stream on top of that Wi Fi. So, in fact, you are protected. Now, if you want to use your phone as a hotspot, um, as soon as you and you want to connect, say, your laptop to your phone, uh, what's going to happen will be the Wi-Fi connection on your phone is going to turn off because Wi-Fi is needed to connect to your, uh, to your laptop. So you have a Wi-Fi link between your laptop and your phone. And then your phone will connect to the inter- Internet via cellular. So the ExpressVPN will, in fact, protect you and your your, your data stream between your phone and the, and the Internet. On the other hand, the connection between your uh, laptop – and your phone, will uh, will that connection will not be encrypted by ExpressVPN unless you've installed the ExpressVPN client on your laptop, in which case you don't need to use it on the iPhone, and you just simply will have an encrypted data stream all the way through from your laptop to the other place. So I tell you, I love ExpressVPN. I use it everywhere I go, especially on travel, when you don't, can't trust those those public Wi-Fi networks. We've got an email from David and Chantilly. Dear Doc and Jim, I have a DSL internet connection. That's called digital subscriber loop. That's what they had before we had broadband. Uh, He must be living in an area where they don't have very good uh, telecom access. I want to switch to something better because my download speeds are only about 2 megabits per second. That's the problem with DSL. Uh, And and on a DSL line, if you're too far away from the, the point where the encryption is made, it gets slower and slower and slower. I don't have cable in my area, so my only other option is HughesNet Satellite. Now, they say they've got unlimited data with no hard data limits. Now, what exactly does that mean? David and Chantilly, well, unlimited data pretty much just means unlimited data. They're never going to cut you off no matter how much data you use. Uh, However, uh, you'll initially get your data at the 25 megabits per second, but as soon as you hit... The cap, and the cap could be uh, however- t- the cap could be 10 megabytes. It could be 25 megabytes. Whatever cap you pay for, uh, it's not a hard cutoff. As soon as you hit the cap, they slow the internet connection down to one to three megabits per second. So it's it's probably good for text messaging, but it's not good enough to watch Netflix. So it will be a little slow internet connection probably about the same speed as your dsl actually and once you hit the data cap and it will stay at the slow speed until your your next billing cycle and it will kick up again so i think you're better off with a soft data cap that way you can at least get emails and text messages in case you blow your whole data cap on (laughs) on on movies we got an email from tuk and chantilly dear tech talk Is there any way to see all the friend requests that I've sent out that haven't been acted on? In other words, who rejected you? (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to send a reminder to these people and nag them until they accept my friend request. Thanks, Tolkien Chantilly. Well, if they ignore or delete your friend request, you'll never know it unless their name shows up in the people you may know section. Now, there's a simple way to view all your outstanding friend requests on one page. Here it is. Simply log, but it, you, you have to do it in the full version of Facebook on your on your computer or your laptop. Log in your Facebook account and then click on your name so you go to your timeline page. Then click on the friends button. Then click on the find friends button. And then you ca- at that point, you can se- select something called view sent requests. And once you click view sent requests, you're going to see all the people you've sent requests to who haven't answered. It could be a Sorry day (laughs) when you look at all your rejects. I mean, Facebook tries to hide the rejects so you don't feel bad. We got an email from Jeannie in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Dear Doc and Jim, someone told me that hiding the Wi-Fi network name on my router will prevent my neighbors from finding it and connecting it to the Internet using my Wi-Fi net. Ah. I live in an apartment building, and I'm pretty sure that some of my neighbors are doing that right now. What do you think about this, Jeannie in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania? Well, the short answer that does make it difficult for people to find it. Um, they can't see your they can't see your network, so they're not going to log into it. Now, every time you log you personally log a new device into the network, you'll have to put in the network name. That's called the SSID. So you have to remember your network name. Then once your device has logged into that network, it will remember that network name, and it will automatically log in in the past. Now, so it's uh, so that's okay. However, I don't think that, you know, providing and pr- hiding your network name is not the best solution to protecting your Wi-Fi connection uh, because if uh, someone is really hacking you, you can actually figure out how t- how to get into the network. It doesn't take somebody with a little bit of skill to look for networks that are not being – that are not – that where they don't have the SSID broadcast because there are still packets broadcast and they can track it out. They can check it out. And so somebody who's a skilled hacker could, could easily get into your network if you didn't have password protection. And that brings me to the real thing what you have to do is get password protection. So it doesn't matter whether they can see your network or not. So when you want to go to your ra- – log into your router, uh, you know, <clears throat> go to the router. It could be one – you know, the, the the IP address of the router, the internal IP address, 192.168.1.1, or it could be 192.168.0.1. It's one of those two. Log into your router uh, and then select the strongest encryption method – possible it could be wpa2 then you change your wi-fi password to something that's easy to remember but you know difficult to crack then once you change the password and make it secure nobody's going to get in in, into your network very easily unless they really invest a lot of time so I, i don't think it's worth hiding your ssid actually it just makes it harder for you to log on a new device just secure it with a good password we got an email from mike in florida Dear Tech Talk, I've got a four-year-old laptop that had Windows 7 on it and then the hard drive died. I'd like to replace the bad drive and install a different operating system since I don't have the old Windows disks and I don't want to pay all that money. I've been reading a lot about Chromebooks. I've tested a few. I love them. Can I install the Chrome operating system on, on my laptop and use it as a Chromebook? Enjoy the podcast, Ooh. Mike in Florida. That's not a bad idea, yeah. Mike. You know, I've, I've I've recommended to people can take an old laptop and install Linux on it because Linux is a much lighter operating system than Windows, and you can take an old laptop and bring it to life with Linux. But some people don't want the complexity of installing Linux and getting all the drivers because it is kind of a techie deal. And the Chrome operating system is not a bad idea if you're going to surf the web. Now, of course, you don't store any applications right in the chrome uh, operating system you store your documents in the cloud so basically it won't work unless you have an internet connection it's basically an internet computer and all of its power comes from the internet connection and so a lot of people though if that if they just surf the web and they're on the internet the chrome operating system is uh, is not a bad option so what, first thing, you want to get a new hard drive, and you want a hard drive this fast. I'll tell you, solid-state hard drives have really come down in price. You're not going to meet a very big one. Get the, get the smallest solid-state hard drive you can get because you're going to use almost no hard drive space because you don't store any documents on your, on your Chrome device. You could probably get a small solid-state hard drive for as little as $30. So you get that, pop it in your... Pop it in your uh, laptop, and then there's a version of the Chrome operating system called Cloud Ready. Cloud Ready, and you can just um, just Google it. It's got a very complicated uh, um, URL, but, but if you if you if you Google Cloud Ready, that's an enhanced version of the Chrome operating system that's optimized to work on a lot of older laptops. It works on a lot of different p- pieces of hardware, and you want the free version. The paid version is more for businesses if they want to track, they want to keep track and centrally manage all these Chrome devices. They you, you can get a paid version, an enterprise version, but in your case, you want the free version. Then what you do is you go to the free version page uh, uh, on Cloud Ready, and they have it. And they have a, you download the, um, the the file that will put an installer on your on a USB flash drive. So you simply download it, copy the installer to the USB flash drive, and then you just pop that USB flash drive right in your laptop. And in about five minutes, you'll have a Chrome operating system right on your laptop, and you should be good to go. Excellent. Now, CloudReady works fine with just almost all laptops, but there's no guarantee it'll work with yours. So good luck. It's worth a try. We got an email from Chris in Atlanta. Dear Tech Talk... I just sent an email to the wrong email address, Oopsie. and it had some private stuff in it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm um. positive that it went to the wrong address <laughs> because after I sent it, it said, "Would would I like to add this new contact? Oops! To my to my uh, to my address book." And I sent it to the same uh, domain as my company. It was somebody's oh, address no. at mycompanyname.com. No, no, no. So I'm certain, you know, I don't think there's anybody at that address. But You where, never know. somebody can,
0: in the Cheyenne, Wyoming office.
2: Yeah, where could it have possibly gone? I don't want anybody to read this thing. I'm a little bit worried. Chris in Atlanta. Well, Chris, there's really no way to know where it went. <laughs> <laughs> unless, unless somebody uh, calls you up and says they got it. Now- now you may get a bounce. That would be the best if if your emails, yeah. if your company email servers are set up to simply bounce emails that were that are undeliverable. That's the best situation because then you know it wasn't delivered. Now some email servers are just configured to silently discard any bounces because they don't want people to try to guess what email addresses are good and which ones are bad. So rather than bounce it. If it's not there, they'll just silently discard it, and then uh, nobody will ever look at it. Now, some some email servers are set up; they um, they forward uh, uh, bounced emails to a catch-all email address, and then there are people that look through them to see whether there's something that should have been that should have been read and forwarded to the right person. Most companies don't have that. Now, the the worst case for you. Uh, Chris, is that the email address is valid and it's going to go to somebody and they're going to read it. Uh Now, also remember this, Chris, the system administrator can see all of your email. If they want to read your email, they can go right into your email. They have all the passwords. So if you're on a company server, really, nothing is private. So you ought to use something like Gmail if you really got private stuff to talk about. We got an email from David in Oklahoma. Dear Tech Talk, I'd like to get a job in technology, and I'm told I need experience. How can I get experience if I don't have a job? It seems like the impossible requirement. What's your advice, David at Oklahoma? This is like a co- – we get this email all the time. This is a common question, especially even for students at Stratford University. They're in technology, and you've got to have, they say, two to three zeros experience in order to get a job. And, uh, and really that experience – uh, uh, two to three years is something that the HR department has, actually what they want you to be able to do is do something useful. And have demonstrated you could do, do something useful. Now, if I've got a, a student at Stratford and they're a technology student and they think they have to have a job to get experience, I'm going to say they don't have much interest in technology. Most guys that I know that are interested in technology, they will – Set up a Linux server at home. They all set up. Oh yeah, they now we talked a Chrome operating system um, laptop at home. They'll set up a, a web server using Apache. They might create a data driven a, a database driven website using uh, using MySQL and PHP, which is a scripting language. They might create a um, you know a simple database application using the student version of Oracle. I mean, there are just a wide 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 range of projects they could work on. So people who are truly techies, truly interested in technology, have projects. So, I suggest you get some solid projects to work on. And when people say do you have experience, talk about your projects. Now, the second thing you can do to get experience is you should join user groups. They are the user groups are made up of professionals. They could they've got them. They've got you know Windows groups. They've got Oracle groups. They've got PHP groups. Whatever they just got dozens of user groups, and these are professionals that, you know, they meet maybe uh, every other month. Some meet every month, and they talk about trends in their particular discipline. So you go to these user groups, so you pick a user group that's related to a project you're working on, and now you're with professionals. You're networking with professionals. Now, when you go to the user group, don't go there with the idea of asking for a job. (laughs) Nobody will want to talk to you. Ask for help on your project. Everybody, everybody wants to help some, somebody who's learning something new. And what's going to happen, these guys that you're working with as you work on the project are going to say, hey, look at that guy. He's really, he's really a go-getter. He doesn't sit around to get done. He, if he doesn't know how to do it, he just jumps in and does it. That's the kind of skill set people like. And you're sort of being, you're sort of in a position where you can demonstrate your technical capacity without actually applying for a job. That's a very good way to network this, uh, n- network. Now, you also want to read industry magazines. There are a whole bunch of free industry mag- magazines. So when you meet these guys at the user group, you can talk about, you know, the next, the big trends, what's coming out in a couple of years. So you, you, you know, look like you're plugged into the to the industry. Then I would recommend that you do something called informal interviewing, where you just go out and ask for advice from people. You say, I'm thinking of doing this. What's your advice? People People love to give advice, you know, don't don't burn a lot of their time, you know, 10, 15 minutes. They love to give advice. But if you ask for a job, they hate to talk to you. Uh, this method of informational interviewing is really outlined quite nicely in the book, in the book, What Colors Your Parachute by Dick Bowles. And Dick Bowles was using a method that had been developed by John Crystal many, many years ago. John lived in McLean here and um And they have this thing about informational interviews that's in a very, very, very effective way to get headway into companies. And so if you do these four things, this whole thing about three years of experience is not going to come up because what you're doing, you are bypassing the HR department and you're talking to the people who actually do the hiring. So the key is to behave like a professional already working in the field, not like somebody who needs a job and needs to get some experience. Listen, best of luck, David, and I hope you get a job of your dreams. We got an email from Donna in Kansas. Dear Doc and Jim, I have a 15-inch laptop, and I usually rest it on my lap when I'm using it and watching TV because it's more just more convenient that way. My roommate is constantly telling me not to do that because he said, will ruin my laptop because it will heat up and may cause premature failure. Is he right? Donna in Kansas. Well, Donna, uh, running a laptop, uh, a running laptop needs to breathe in order for its internal components to stay cool. That's a small fan in it, and there are some, some vents on the bottom. Now, when you rest a laptop on your lap, the air vents can become blocked, and they restrict the airflow into the machine. This can lead to heat buildup inside the CPU and other critical components, and it could lead to laptop failure prematurely. Now, you can get a laptop lap desk if you want <laughs> yeah. yeah you can get a lap desk and uh, and then you can put the laptop on top of it and and that would actually then um, that would, would solve your problem basically these lap desks are basically like a thin piece of wood and so the laptop sits on it and when it sits on the legs then the vents can actually work properly and you can you know you can there are a bunch of lap desks on Amazon oh, for around desk. $20, around $20, I'm reading that very carefully, Uh uh-huh. around $20, and so, uh, but you actually, you could just get a, and, and the, you know, and they're basically just a piece of wood with curved edges that look pretty, and painted a nice color, and you could make your own if you'd want, but sure. that would actually solve the problem, I, I guess the only issue is it's it's hard to carry it around, there is one uh, lap desk, just a thin piece, it's got a handle on it, so you could carry it with you with your laptop, but... I just can't imagine carrying that around with you. But I think it might be good at home for you when you're just watching TV. just stick it by the couch and pull it up and put your laptop on it. We got an email from Sarah in Baltimore. Dear Doc and Jim, I recently hid all my Facebook contacts because I have some friends that don't get along. And I don't want them to know that I'm friends with all of them because then they'd be mad at me. However, I just found out that all my friends can still see the list of friends that we have in common. Uh Aha. Those are called our mutual friends. That was not blocked. How can I hide the list of mutual friends? Because I just don't want them to see it. Um, I enjoy the show, Sarah, in Baltimore. Well, Sarah, unfortunately, there's no setting available p- permit, that will prevent your friends from seeing who are your mutual friends. You can easily, e- easily hide your entire friends list from strangers, but Facebook will not allow you to hide your mutual friends list from each other. Now, even if you could hide that mutual friends list, they could still see who you're chatting with because they could look at your timeline. So you're really not going to be totally protected anyway. But hopefully your friends will just start getting along a little better and have some tolerance. (laughs) We got an email from Nicole in Fairfax. Dear Doc and Jim, I'm planning on buying a Chromebook, but most Chromebooks only come with four gigabytes of RAM. Is that enough RAM or should I opt for more? My Windows laptop has a lot more RAM. 4 gigabytes just seems like not much. Well, the short answer uh, the short answer Nicole is that Chromebooks really don't need much RAM. The Chrome operating system manages RAM more efficiently than Windows. It uses a compressed block of RAM, compresses the data, and it dynamically and that dy- dynamically reallocates uh, data in that block of RAM as when it gets filled up. Now some Chrome Chromebooks uses as little as two gigabytes of RAM, while others come with around with as much as 16 gigabytes of RAM. Now the standard has been four gigabytes around, and that's uh, that's been around for the longest time. That's what most of the of the uh, of the Chromebooks are, and that's probably the cheapest uh, the cheapest variety of four gigabytes of RAM. But but you can also but there's now a recent shift in the marketplace where there are a lot of eight gigabyte machines out there now. But if it's just going to be sitting on a coffee table, use it for light browsing, email, social networking, and the like, then I think a 4-gigabyte model is the best. It's probably cheaper. But if you plan on using the Chromebook as your primary machine at work for school and a play, you'd more likely want more RAM. I'd recommend if it's going to be a heavy-duty use on the machine, I'd get 8 gigabytes of RAM. That's generally more than anybody else needs. If you're a super-duper power user, you can, you could get the 16-gigabyte, but I doesn't sound like you really need it. We got an email from Mark in Richmond, Virginia. Dear TechDoc, I've always encrypted my hard drive on my laptop for security reasons. I sometimes change my Windows password, and I'm confused. If your password is used to encrypt your hard disk, how can you change your password... And still be able to decrypt the hard drive. Wouldn't you have to decrypt it first and then encrypt it with the new password? I'm a little confused. How is it possible to to do that without de-encrypting and re-encrypting? I'm a little confused by how all the Windows stuff works here. Enjoy the show. Enjoy the show, Mark, in Richmond. Uh, Oh, he enjoys the show using Alexa in Ah. Richmond. Yeah. Well... I assume that you're using BitLocker for encryption or your hard drive. That's the whole disk encryption system used by Microsoft for Windows. Now, you can change your password or passphrase without needing to re-encrypt the hard drive. The secret is simply this. Your password was not used to encrypt the disk. When you first encrypted the disk, an encryption key was manufactured for you by BitLocker. And it was a key that you will never see. It's generally referred to as a 128-bit key or a 256-bit key, depending on how you've configured BitLocker. It's not even something you'd recognize as text. It's a purely random binary number. This encryption key is used to encrypt your data. Not Your, your password is not used to encrypt your data. In fact, your password hasn't even been used yet when you do the encryption. Then what you do, a randomly generated encryption key... This randomly generated encryption key is then encrypted using your password. All right? This is the key. So your password encrypts the encryption key, and then it's stored somewhere on uh, on the Windows hard drive, probably in your user profile. And then your password unlocks the key, and then the key unlocks the data. So you can change your password, and all you have to do is just re-encrypt the key, not the entire hard drive. So when you change your login password, all the system has to do is decrypt the encrypted encryption key using your old password, re-encrypt it using the new password. The actual key used to decrypt your hard drive is never changed. Now, if you need to change the encryption key that's actually used to encrypt your data on the hard drive, you would have to decrypt the hard drive completely and then re-encrypt it. We got an email from Mia in Reston. Dear Tech Talk. I would like to schedule my email delivery for a future time. I work very late at night on my emails, but I don't want them delivered in the middle of the night. I'd like them to deliver it at 8 a.m. in the morning when everybody's at work. Now, I'm currently using Gmail as my primary account. Is there a way to do that? Love the show, Mia in Richmond. Well, Mia, you are in luck. Google, really? Google added this feature on April of 2019. Didn't know this. Scheduling emails previously required a third-party extension. Now you can... You can just, within Gmail itself, schedule up to 100 emails at a time. You just go in the Gmail website in the desktop browser. You compose your email regularly, and then there's a send button, but now there's a little down arrow by the send button. You click the down arrow, and you'll see something up, that says then it says schedule send. You click on schedule send, and then another screen comes up, and you pick the date and the time. So you can do that. I, I tried that. Uh, actually, I tried it last night for the first time, and I got an email this morning that reminded me to drive into the Tech Talk radio show.
0: Like you were going to forget.
2: Yeah, like I would forget. Yeah, but, uh, but it came right at the I, – I said give it to me at 8 o'clock, and boom, it was there at 8 o'clock. Uh, and you can pick any time you want. And you can even schedule an email for a few days out. Now suppose you want to schedule an email to your future self.
0: Your future self? Yeah. Meaning like you have multiple personalities? No, you just, you just say like in 50 years,
2: you, oh. you, you, you'd you like to send an email about what was happening today. So to, to kind of remind yourself. That's
0: uh, wishful thinking, 50 years.
2: So you can actually – Gmail will schedule emails out to 2068. Wow. Now, uh, now that's – if you're still around 48 years from now and Google has not changed the way the feature works, Gmail will send you an email – Send an email to the desired
0: recipient. There are a couple of big ifs in there.
2: Assuming they still have the email address. I mean, if you would do that, send it to other people, maybe something would happen to you be tw- between now and then, and they would get this email out of nowhere.
0: In 48 years, if you're getting this, I'm probably dead. <laughs> That's right.
2: <laughs> now you can also do the. You can also do the schedule email from your iPhone or your from the Gmail app in the iPhone or the Android. You just compose your email normally. And instead of tapping the send button, you tap the menu button on the top right corner of the screen and then select schedule send. Now, you may schedule an email and say, hey, I, I said the wrong thing. Maybe I better cancel that email. So you can simply <laughs> – you can go to your scheduled emails. You'll see them listed there. You'll see scheduled emails. It will be there down by the, by the out box you know, in, the, in the list of the areas. You can click on that. There will be a list of emails that are scheduled. You can click on one, and then you can – if you want, you can cancel the send. So you can always cancel it. We got an email from Linda in uh, Myrtle Beach. Dear Talk, I'd, like I'd like to connect my laptop to my high-definition television set in the living room. I've got a game app on my laptop, and I'd like to see it on the big screen. Huh. How can I make this connection? Linda in Myrtle Beach. Well, a TV can be thought of as just a giant computer monitor. Sure. So to connect a laptop to your desktop TV, you just need an HDMI cable. And you just plug the HDMI cable into your HDMI port on your PC, and then you plug it into the HDMI in port on your TV, and then you just adjust your TV to that particular port. And boom, you will immediately see your desktop image on the TV. Now, many laptops don't have an HDMI port, a full-size HDMI port to save space, so you may need an adapter. If your computer or TV is old and it doesn't have HDMI, it may support VGA or something similar. So you could get an HDMI to VGA audio adapter, and then you'd be good to go. So that actually not not a bad idea for no, gaming because not. because you got all you got good gaming apps on your uh, on your laptop, but, but that might be not on your TV. Mm-hmm. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can.
0: It's Saturday morning, and you're listening to Tech Talk Radio, heard on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD 2, and 103.9 FM HD 2. You can watch us do the program by downloading the the, uh, Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. We'll be right back.
1: If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio.
2: Welcome back to Tech Talk. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University. Now it's time for
1: Profiles in
3: IT.
2: This morning we're going to talk about Dr. Martin Cooper. Now, Marty Cooper was born December 26, 1926, in Chicago. He is considered to be father of the cell
0: phone. My goodness. What a lofty title.
2: (laughs) What a lofty title. He received his degree in electrical engineering from the Illinois Institute of Technology in 1950 and received his master's degree from that same institution in 1957. After four years in the Navy, serving on destroyers, he's he's making that first phone call right now. I can hear Mm -hmm. him making that phone call. After serving with destroyers and on a submarine, he worked for a year at a telecommunications company, at which time he was hired by Motorola, and now that was 1954. Now, he worked on developing portable products for Motorola, including the first handheld Portable police radios made for the Chicago Police Department. Now you might ask, why was Motorola in the in the phone motor, in the in the phone business? Because remember, car phones were viewed to be a big product line. Right. Back then, nobody thought that mobile phones would have any use. They thought the phone had to be in the car. Of course, mm-hmm. they were they were big. So Motorola, since it was a car component company, was in the car phone business but they thought they had a bigger idea. Let's try to make it something that's really mobile that you don't have to carry on with a car. Now, Cooper is named on the U.S. patent 3906166 Radio Telephone System. <laughs> now, he made the first... He was competing, by the way, with, uh, with folks at, uh, at IBM and at Bell Labs uh, you know, to try to come up with the first uh, the, the first handheld phone system. And so he made a phone call to his rival... Joel Engel, who was the head of research at Bell Labs, and he made that phone call standing on the streets in New York on April 3rd, 1973.
0: Using his cell phone.
2: Using his cell phone, and he was showing reporters uh, how it would operate. So he actually walked across the street while talking on the phone, and that just wowed the reporters. Now, the original cell phone... It
0: didn't sound like that when it was ringing. No,
2: it didn't. Now, the the now the cell phone that he demonstrated on that first day uh, weighed 1.87 pounds, mm-hmm. uh, which was 30 ounces, but when they finally released the commercial version of the phone, it was called the Motorola DynaTAC. Catchy was, name. Yeah, <laughs> okay, now, get this. This phone, the commercial version of it, was nine inches long. Five inches wide, yeah. and 1.75 inches thick. It weighed two and a half pounds.
0: Fits in your pocket, won't it? Now,
2: now, this was the first. This is the first uh, commercially available cell phone. It had 30 circuit boards in it. Now, get this. It took 10 hours to charge the battery, and you had a a mighty talk time of 35 minutes. Today's average
0: teenager would burn that phone out in 35 minutes on the first call.
2: That's right. Now, Cooper, in an interview, I was reading a lot of interviews, Cooper revealed that he got the inspiration to make the cell phone when watching Captain Kirk talking in his communicator on the TV show Star Trek. Why not? And that inspired him to do research on the mobile phone. That's... I know I'm surprised that he admitted that. Did he also uh,
1: invent those doors that open and shut with that <laughs> oh,
2: <laughs> I'd, I would like to have some of those doors in. I like those doors. That's true. Now, Cooper's Law Cooper's law was uh, was is a is a law which was based on his observation that the number of radio frequencies conversations that can be concurrently conducted on any given area of spectrum has doubled every 30 months and that doubling has occurred for over over a hundred years since Marconi's first spark spark gap transmitter Now Cooper believes the next big advancement in wireless, Cell phone technology will be wide area high speed internet access via cell phone. We don't, we're not quite there yet, but we're walking toward it. He thinks the main reason we're not there yet is that the spectrum is not being used very efficiently, and that in order to really achieve that goal, we need more efficient use of spectrum. And so he started a new company called Arraycom, which is a privately held company out in San Jose, California, which is developing what they call smart. Uh, antenna technology, where they're going to have smart base stations that use the spectrum more efficiently. Now, we always want to know. Yeah. Did you, the you guy make yeah. any money? Uh huh. Okay. Now this was. What a reporter asked Marty Cooper this. I, I didn't when he we, he was by the way a guest on the show a couple years ago. Uh, I didn't ask Marty Cooper this, but he, another reporter asked him that. He says Marty Cooper answered about the the, the question about wealth. He says. He says, well, I'm rich beyond all imagination in satisfaction and in happiness and in self-fulfillment. So not in cash. But not necessarily in dollars oh. and cents. <laughs> so there we go. Now, I have also in my hands yes, the, you do. Original. <laughs> the original. The original. The original. Press release issued by Motorola in April 3rd, 1973, when that cell phone came out.
1: And those of us watching at home on the... Go, uh, it's on the, the Outdoor Life Guard. Network that's this right. week. Oh, that's right. That's I right. want you to
2: know, here on, here. on this press release was released. It's released after 11 a.m. Tuesday, April 3rd, 1973. We at 3WT, we get this news to you fast. As soon as it's... Off <laughs> right
0: the off the presses. presses. Right off the presses. Hot press. off the presses. Hot exactly. off
2: the presses. Okay, Motorola demonstrates a portable telephone... To be available for public use by 1976. Mm-hmm. A handheld, completely portable telephone, which allows its user to place or receive calls from virtually anywhere in the metro area, was demonstrated today by Motorola. And it goes on to say that they think everybody will use this phone, even households. What are buds. they, crazy? I don't know. This is what they go. This is a little – this is an interesting article to read. But I have the original press release here, and I'll put a link to that when we we post this show outline to the web. I'll put a link to that. I think you that.
0: need to take that down to the uh, archives building and put it right next to the Declaration of Independence. Uh, I think I think we – It needs to be preserved. I well, think, you know, it really – the cell phone really has changed everybody's life. It has. Everybody is. has a phone. Yeah. Some people have a cell phone and no house phone. I know. I mean, right I – you know, I mean, I, I've actually gone almost 100 percent the cell
2: phone. We mm-hmm. we hardly even check our messages at home. I never, I never do.
0: You're listening to Tech Talk Radio, heard every Saturday morning on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. 1500 AM, 103.5 FM 2 and 103.9 FM 2 On the web at Stratford.edu and federalnewsnetwork.com.
1: Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking, and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu cybersecurity. In the next three
3: security guard at the front desk, featuring Mr. Big Voice, with musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band, and your host, Jim
0: Ross. Thanks for tuning in this Saturday morning to Tech Talk Radio, where it is time for us to play the pop quiz. In Profiles in IT, we just finished talking about Dr. Martin Cooper, the father of the cell phone. In 1954, Dr. Cooper was hired by Motorola. The question today, what project did he work on?
3: 10-4, Jim. Great question. If you know the answer, now is the time for you to pick up your device and give us a call. If you're dialing from west of the Rockies, It's 877-936-9333. If you're calling from east of Playa del Shirts, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. If you're talking on your walkie-talkie in Canada, give us a call on the wildcard line. 877-936-9333. Anyone else, anywhere else, may call us on the wildcard line. 8779 3639 333. Andrew Mitchell, our adjunct professor for prize distribution and crowd control, standing by to take your calls. So, dial now.
2: Baltimore has been hit with another ransomware attack.
0: Oh, yes, it has.
2: Now, last year, the Baltimore's 911 system, you know, 911 system, was struck with a ransomware attack. Now, the, the, the mayor. Uh, uh, Jack Young,
0: <laughs> mayor so, for ten days now.
2: Yeah, the mayor for ten days. Jack Young is—is is he acting mayor? How no, he...
0: he. Well, she resigned, so now as city council president, he's next in line of succession. So he's he officially was, mayor. He's officially mayor. Yes.
2: Okay, so Mayor Jack Young said on Friday that the city's making progress in recovering from the ransomware attack that crippled the, the city government's computers and servers on Tuesday. Now the FBI is assisting officials with the ongoing investigation, so Young really didn't want to go into detail. But he stressed it was business as usual for city employees, except for the fact that the computers are down. So they're moving forward and the citizens shouldn't notice any difference except they have to do, do things manually and well, on paper. <laughs> it caused
0: all kinds of problems well first of all, not only does it affect the computer system, but it affects the office phone. So you can't call a city office right now.
2: Ah, so because
0: it's, it's all hooked into the, you know
2: all hooked into the computers it was struck with the by with the robin hood ransomware mm-hmm. you know this is robin hood stealing from the rich and giving to the poor i, I don't think these particular guys are motivated that way uh, i
0: think they're motivated by lining their own pockets now
2: authorities announced that the hackers are demanding about $76,000 to unlock the encrypted files now I w- now there's this ransomware's been out there and if you look at the details of what they've done to other places they initially asked for 3 bitcoins if per computer they'll infect as many computers as they can on the network and they'll ask for three bitcoins per computer to unlock it. Now three bitcoins at the current value is worth around twenty thousand okay. dollars at current value. But if you want but you get a bulk rate so if you a bulk. if you if you say look I want all the computers on my network to unlock they'll do that for seven Bitcoin which is which is uh, which is thousand dollars for seven bitcoins But here's the rub. On the fourth day, it's ten thousand dollars more.
0: So, like everything else, you 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 lose more in penalties than you That's do in right. the actual fine. So on the
2: fifth day, it's another ten thousand. So they so the so if you would pay up right away, it'd be forty seven thousand. But if you delay, they charge you ten thousand dollars a day penalty. So apparently, the seventy six thousand dollars, they actually actually let's see forty fifty six. They have three days of penalties built into that, mm-hmm. and it's uh, and it's building up. Now, the same ransomware hit the municipal network in Greenville, North Carolina last month. Now, here's the thing. They said if there are city employees who cannot do any work without a computer.
0: This is great. This is so Baltimore.
2: They're going to ask them to start cleaning up the city.
0: There's a lot of work left there to do. Yeah, um,
2: yeah. I mean that. I and, don't. Know, how, I don't know how that's going to go over. It
0: didn't go over very well. The city government <laughs> employees union uh, fired back a rather angry. Uh, but I have to tell you this: I, as a city resident, a Baltimore City resident, I'm I'm kind of glad that that Mary Young isn't going to pay this fine, because you know what? This is my feeling. It just makes puts you on the uh, call call me again list. Right. Right. Yeah. Because okay, they're easy.
2: So so here's the thing. Um, If they have backed up their computers, then it's simply a matter of restoring the data from the backups. Now, if they have not backed up their computers properly, or if their backups were actually on the network so the backups themselves could be infected with ransomware, then the backup data is not available. So you have the untenable choice. If your data is not there at all, it might cost you... You know, millions to restore it. Right, and and so they may be forced to pay the va- ransomware if they don't have the data. Now, I think what they're what they're trying to do is do an assessment to see what is backed up. Can they restore the systems without paying the ransomware? And furthermore, if they if they pay the ransomware, I don't think they're going to say it.
0: No, well that's well that's spec <laughs> the speculations of what happened last time when the nine one one system was hacked, and the the nine one one system was not hacked at this time um as you mentioned but the, the the speculation is that they paid paid up and 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 got it back but i really like that mary young is not gonna knuckle under the, these people um is it possible the longer that it stays locked down that they might be able to track where this came from
2: um, is it
0: like keeping a crank caller on the line and trying to find out you know where the, who this is
2: no there's there, there's, there's no way of no they no they they've just given the they've just given them the uh, w- when they when the computers are infected there's basically the ransomware demand is just installed on the desktop and it's there mm-hmm. and what and if you do a a bitcoin transfer uh, you, you that's that's an anonymous way to transfer money and so it is possible With Bitcoin, when they finally convert it to real money at a bank, there may be a way to trace it back. But more than likely, they're going to do the conversion from Bitcoin to real money in a country that we don't have any access to, Mm -hmm. you know. And so eventually, if you try to get real money out of the Bitcoin, there's going to be – the Bitcoin number is going to be tracked to a real account and a real identity. but. Uh, people are able to do this all the time. Get the money through Bitcoin and remain anonymous.
0: So now they're doing. The, you know, they're starting to resume city business. Before <laughs> you couldn't do a lot of things. For instance, you couldn't pay your parking tickets, mm-hmm. and they waived all of the the, uh, the late fees for that. But one of the things you really couldn't do is you could not get your car if your car had been towed and impounded. Mm-hmm. You couldn't get the car back. Wow! Now you have to go to the impound lot and pay them cash. They can't do any electronic transfers, and they can't do anything with credit cards. You have to bring cold, hard cash to the impound lot, and they do everything on paper. They they do
2: everything manually. Think about this. If they can't get the parking ticket data— then people that owe a lot of parking tickets are off scot free. Gone. Boom.
0: <laughs> They're well, you gone. Know, the funny thing was a couple of years ago they did, they did a parking amnesty thing. Mm-hmm. They do this every few years because you know, it's like any other city I guess where people just park willy-nilly and you get tickets mm-hmm. and you just don't pay them. Yeah. They, they 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 let everybody just pay face value on the tickets. And because the the, the, the fees just stack up exponentially. Yep. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh and so they did that a few years ago. Um but yeah, you're right. Now it's possible just just left gone,
2: and just say I paid my taxes. How about taxes? I paid my well, taxes but in
0: Maryland. That comes out of your state. So when you pay your state taxes in Maryland, a portion of that goes back to the the county or oh, municipality that so. you live in. So there's no separate. Although that's a very good point. I'm not a property owner in Baltimore uh-huh. City, but I guess you're right. If you if you pay if you pay property taxes in Baltimore City, I wonder what what the ramification is there.
2: Turning a parking place. Into a crowd, into a co-working space. There's a there's a company in San Francisco called WePark. Now the project is led by the web developer Victor Pontus, and he uses a parking place to create a co-working space. Now Pontus said he got the idea from a Twitter exchange in which GitHub's uh, Devin Zugel pointed out that eight bicycles could fit in one parking spot instead of a car. Then urbanist Annie Fryman responded, suggesting that the metered parking spots could be used for a co-working space. You just put desks there instead of motorcycles. So, <laughs> so Pontus said, hey, that's an interesting idea. So he turned it into reality, and he created a company called WePark. So he'll go to popular real estate areas like Santa Monica's Ocean Avenue, and he'll pay for a day's worth of parking at a parking meter. And then he'll put desks in the parking uh. place, <laughs> and and then he'll have a, a Wi-Fi hotspot. And then he charges people two two, two twenty-five <laughs> an hour, <laughs> two twenty-five an hour to use the desk in the parking in the parking place.
0: What he needs is a Keurig hooked up to a car battery, and he can sell coffee out there too.
2: So the first day 30 people showed up <laughs> because here's the thing, you've got all these guys and, and they, they go to these uh, crowd working, co-working places like we work, you, you, you have to pay $50 a day plus a, plus a monthly membership fee. Now you can sit down, you got a desk, you got a computer, you got everything you need there and it's two twenty five an hour. It's just that you're sitting on the okay. street in a, in a parking. So place. what does
0: he pay for? The, is it two twenty five an hour for the spot, or do you know? No, what the no. Each re-
2: each each seat each co working seat with the desk and all is two twenty five an hour. Do you know hour. how
0: much he's paying to rent the parking spot for the day? I don't. I don't That's, really
2: know that. This, I, is, I, this is ingenious. I don't know. But you know, if you if you think about it, because cars just sit in that parking. Yeah, you, I right. mean, it's just unused real estate. And and so he's going to the most expensive real estate area, you know, there. You know, he's right there, he's right there on Santa Monica Ocean Avenue. And so this if you'd get office space there, boom, it would it would I mean it would be expensive. Plus, you're in Santa Monica. You got the beach there, it's beautiful. You're sitting outside, you know, probably having a margarita, sitting at the desk. It's probably it's probably a great working environment.
0: And get a it's tan. actually,
2: it's actually a pretty neat idea. Maybe he can get some like idea. bistro
0: umbrellas and create like a little canopy out there. Yeah. What so there you go. Idea.
2: idea of the week. We park.
0: That. That's crazy. <laughs> I wonder. Uh, so at some point, somebody's going to mess this up for him, don't you think? I mean, the, the city's going to step the in and say, "Hey, you can't do, do the that." The city's
2: going to do some kind of zoning deal. Yeah. You know. Now this right to repair legislation. I mean, this is interesting. I mean, these. These companies, they say you can only repair an iPhone at an authorized dealer. And, of course, Apple gets a cut at it. If it's an Apple or an Android phone, they get a cut at it. And uh, legislation are saying, look, this isn't right. You you buy a phone. It's your phone. You, you, ought to be able to, you ought to be able to repair it. Now, how these companies force you to use their authorized dealer, they said if anybody other than an authorized dealer touches your phone, opens it up, the, the warranty is void. That's how they control it. And the legislatures are trying to change that, and they're trying to put some controls over that so this whole repair ecosystem isn't controlled by, by the hardware companies. And, uh, and so there's been a lot of uh, work on this. So le- legislators in 20 states have been working on some sort of legislation on on right to repair. This has been fought tooth and nail by guess who? Apple. <laughs> <laughs> Lexmark makes uh, printers. Verizon as well as CompTIA, and 18 other trade associations associated with big tech companies, as well as the Entertainment Software Association, as well as CTIA. These are all organizations that are supported by big tech. Now, if passed, manufacturers would have to share codes, tools, and supply chain access to anyone who purchased the product. So, you know, it takes a special tool to open an iPhone. It takes special products to fix it. So... Apple would have to share the tools that they use for opening the iPhones or repairing the iPhones. All of that that the authorized dealers have access to, they'd have to share with people who bought the phone. But this whole thing is largely about controlling the revenue stream. Mm-hmm. I mean it's currently holding up – it's one of Apple's biggest financials, that, that segment, that repair. And it's more profitable to lock users in. To using the manufacturer's official resources. Now, right to repair laws would lower cost, uh, lower user cost, increase reuse of phones, which means they and would eliminate uh, premature disposal, which means there would be a, probably a reduction in sales. So, yeah. so the companies really fighting that tooth and nail
0: hey have you have have you gotten an iphone 10 yet or are you thinking about doing it i know we've talked about this
2: i'm i'm thinking I, i'm an upgrade i've still got my iphone 6x so i haven't here's the thing they're almost out with the next version the iphone 11 then you know what's going to happen to the iphone 10
0: it's going to be obsolete because it's the price is going to drop
2: the price is going to drop, gonna there drop. You go. i'm waiting for the next <sighs> iphone to come out and then i'm going to buy the 10
0: Okay, will the 11 have a headphone jack on it or will it have the same thing that the the 10 has got?
2: It'll be – there won't be a headphone – headphone jacks
0: are toast. But I like a headphone jack.
2: Well, that – you're just living in the past, Jim. (laughs) I mean, I'm sorry, Jim. You're just living in the past.
0: Okay, so, all right. So, how about this?
2: That's like like somebody saying, hey, I like a radio, over-the-air radio. I do like an over-the-air radio. I don't like streaming. I'll just leave
0: right now if you'd like. Um, but let me ask you this, the, uh, the iPhone eight, mm-hmm. is that the same camera as the six?
2: No, no. The cameras. if you get a seven, you'll get a substantially better camera.
0: Okay. Between
2: the six and the seven, the eight and the seven have almost the same camera. Okay. The big step in camera was between six and seven.
0: So compare the seven and the 10 camera. Yeah. Same thing?
2: No. Big difference
0: between the 7 and the 10.
2: Yeah, because the 10 camera was really designed to have more of this three dimensional viewing so they could do face
0: recognition with it. Does the 7 have a headphone jack?
2: Uh, No. (laughs) What? The 6. The 6
0: is the last one.
2: Yeah, the 6 is the last one. So. So
0: you're you're you're, you're you wrecked pre- my whole day. You're
2: pretty much stuck in the past. Well just just get uh, just get Bluetooth. Oh my Look goodness. Look at the, the time. Oh my I'm goodness. I'm so sorry, but listen, this is important stuff. I'm telling you, well listen, we love your emails. I want you to email us at Tech at Stratford.edu. And we'll get back to you as soon as we can. I also want you to go to the Stratford University website www.stratford.edu check out the programs in computer software engineering business accounting health sciences culinary arts hospitality and tell them you heard about those programs on tech talk radio
1: tech talk radio is sponsored by stratford university for more information on courses at stratford university call 1-800-444-0804 thanks for listening to tech talk radio online